passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Flair is down. Lynch is down. Outside the ring. Oh, my God. She realizes that she's the only one in there. The greatest opportunity she's going to have in this match. Asuka trying to reach, trying to climb. Asuka, can she get there? Reach, reach. Will her dreams come true? Asuka. Hello, everybody. It's John Pollock and Wei Ting. Hey, John, you're not... I'm not in your basement right now. You're not? No. Unless... Y- it no. sounds like you are. I'm not in your basement, no. We are uh, doing this via Hangouts. Um, John, uh, give us the, the update on the Pollock household. Uh, no one wants to hear about all this, but everyone is sick, except for me. But I cannot say that with complete certainty come Monday. Oh, no. So, I don't know. This is a very, very, very bad week to get sick, and I'm hoping that when I wake up tomorrow, I am not, uh, I have not been taken down. Uh, for my sake, I hope you're not either, man. I know. (laughs) I hope you drink that ginger ale, drink that green tea, whatever you need to do. Make sure you get some good sleep tonight. But, um, before we do that, um, let's talk about the show. All right. This is the... WWE TLC post show. Way and I have just sat through this entire show, as I'm sure many of you had. So we are going to go through all of it. Uh, before we start, how was your weekend? You asked me about mine. How was yours? Uh, my weekend was good. Yeah, as usual. Um, you know, tried to take a, um, I mean, a combination of, I, th- I think, trying to get away from wrestling while also trying to consume as much wrestling as I can in my downtime. So uh, watched a few shows, um, caught some excellent, uh, I think, uh, lead up footage uh to TLC uh which I'm sure we'll get to talk about throughout the evening so it was a good weekend I got to see you a bit on Friday night you came by for a bit of final battle mhm yeah I got to see see you and Mike um yeah yeah it was fun well let's get into TLC we have a lot to discuss on this show so let us go to San Jose California on Sunday night and we started off on the kickoff show with Jonathan Coachman alongside Booker T, Sam Roberts, and David Otunga. And we, ha- we had not one but two kickoff matches. Uh, with 12 matches, I was glad they at least spread them out and got some here onto the kickoff show because five hours away, that's that's not enough time. Oh, definitely. Yeah, why waste time with like more panel discussion when I think you know you could throw on a couple of those matches that you announced on there to excite the crowd? Uh, I was certainly happy to see that they were doing that and not just putting one match on. Uh, we did have a segment backstage where Baron Corbin was with Jojo and Heath Slater. 
going over JoJo's statement that Baron has prepared for her of how to announce that he is the winner by forfeit over Braun Strowman and would become the permanent general manager of Raw. And then Corbin is informed that there are reports that Braun Strowman would be showing up tonight. First kickoff match was Buddy Murphy against Cedric Alexander for the Cruiserweight title. Uh, last last month, I thought the Cruiserweights did a phenomenal job at the Survivor Series with Buddy Murphy and Mustafa Ali. This month, I did think it was a very good match, but the placement of it, uh, you know, I can't necessarily fault them. This was not a match that had a whole lot of steam coming into it. Uh, but what did you think about the uh, the placement, putting the Cruiserweights back here on the kickoff? I really liked it personally. You know, I was actually kind of happy to see them get the kickoff. To me, it basically guaranteed that they would get a very positive reaction to this match. You know, they're they're performing in front of of a, of a crowd that was hungry for action, and that's what exactly these two delivered. It was a very fast, hard hitting match. I thought it was really good. Murphy went for Murphy's Law, but Alexander turned that into a Michinoku driver for a two count after uh, with a block. Murphy then stopped Alexander, hit the uh, Will Ospreay's cheeky Nando's kick, and then did a sit-out powerbomb. The audience bit on that near fall. And then Alexander hit a Death Valley driver onto the edge of the apron and the lumbar check inside. Murphy gets his foot onto the bottom rope, and then Murphy ran Alexander into the turnbuckle, hit him with a knee strike, and on the second attempt, hit Murphy's Law to win the match. 10 minutes, 25 seconds. Yeah, I mean, you know, like you said... um, I didn't really have much of an emotional attachment to this match. I can't say by the end of the night it was all that memorable, especially compared to, you know, their Super Showdown match, which I thought was uh, was kind of the opposite. You know, it was Buddy Murphy in his hometown having a big, big moment. This, to me, just kind of felt like it was warming up the crowd, but they did a wonderful job of that to me. So I, I was not dissatisfied with the placement of this match at all. Yeah, I liked it. Didn't steal the show, but it was a fine opener. Your first match of the night, and the audience seemed uh, pretty invested at the at the beginning. I think they got them by the midpoint, even if they weren't, uh, if some fans weren't as familiar with these two. Um, they did a, a good job in this kickoff match. Becky Lynch was interviewed backstage, said she was going to rip the heads off of Oscar and Charlotte Flair, and then she starts asking, when was the last time the women's title headlined a dual brand pay-per-view and I had to listen to her closely because with her accent it both times she said dual brand it sounded like jewel brand I was like that's that's quite a new term and then I realized oh she's saying dual brand pay-per-view event yeah Uh, I don't know if any uh, women were allowed on that jewel branded show no no they don't headline or defend titles on the the jewel brand shows but dual brand the women were on top tonight Wait and a second, though. But but when was the last time a woman headlined a dual branded show? Didn't well, Ronda? That's what, that, no, that's what she's stating. Yeah, didn't Ronda headline one not not too long ago? Going on last? I I don't think so. Has that not happened? Wow, that kind of surprises me. Then that was, I mean, someone someone can double check for us. There was, yeah. I'm trying to remember the Money in the Bank one where Alexa Bliss cashed in. I don't think that ended the show though, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, I'll double check that. We will double check. But anyway, that was uh, the crux of uh, Becky's uh, promo leading up to it. Did you watch the Chronicle on her? I did, yes. I watched that uh, in the lead up to this, and I thought it was excellent. Is that something you want to discuss now, or is that something you want to talk about more in depth? Let's save that one. Let's save it. We we have a lot to uh, dive into here, but we will definitely discuss that. Uh, So it looks like Money in the Bank was uh, the men's 
uh, ladder match that headline. Okay. So. Yeah, I don't think Ronda's ever gone last on a pay-per-view, unless I'm not thinking of one. I mean, yeah, of like, course, I, of, yeah, for a dual brand show. Evolution aside, of course. Yeah, which wasn't, I guess, technically was a dual brand show, but yes. Uh, Elias was inside the ring to start performing, and he said, I'm a... Uh, I'm going to perform Do You Know the Way to San Jose. And the crowd was so excited. They wanted to hear this song. And Bobby Lashley and Leo Rush interrupted. So they didn't get to hear their song. That's too bad. I like that song. I would have liked to see Elias' rendition of it. That's a kind of a clever way. Elias can just go to every city and find like a local a local song that connects with the audience. And then you don't deliver it. The, the heel takes it away from you. In Toronto, it would have to be something like... Maybe a Drake song. Yeah, maybe Elias can do a cover of Drake. Yeah. Elias and Bobby Lashley in a ladder match. This is probably the least anticipated match on this show. See, this was a match that I was actually, again, glad that they put on the kickoff and not in the middle of the show, because I thought for sure this match, seeing how Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose would do later on in the show, for sure this match would have died somewhere in the middle. So I, I, I thought it was wise to put this on the kickoff. Yes, it has the dual meaning. Like, the kickoff is like you're starting, but I looked at it as they are kicking this off the main card, and this is <laughs> where I would prefer it. So they had these ladders surrounding the ring with the guitar hung above the ring. Elias got the ladder set up, but was stopped climbing when Leo Rush got involved, but of course, Leo Rush is small. He can't push a ladder over with a grown man on it. So Lashley then tossed Elias onto a ladder in the corner with a belly-to-belly, and... I'm just thinking, like, we would see a lot of dangerous spots involving ladders on this show. And I'm just looking at the kickoff that there is not one person that left the arena on Sunday night stating, man, that Elias, that bump he took onto the ladder was, man, that looked really painful. And I'm sure it was very painful. And not one person is ever going to remember this. I almost think that if, like, why even have a ladder match on the kickoff show? This was such a... This was I, this could have I, been a straight up match. It would have had the exact same reaction, same kind of uh, story you could have booked. Uh, instead, it just was like needless. I have to imagine when they initially proposed this match, this wasn't the plan, you know, to just have a ladder match thrown onto a kickoff show. I imagine maybe they would have seen the full card and thought, you know what, uh, this probably Does has anyone realize we've booked twelve matches. <laughs> it's that and also it's the fact that like there's very little interest in this feud and seeing Elias versus Bobby Lashley uh, I'm sure they felt that so uh and I'm sure it also might have had something to do with the mixed match challenge thing too because that probably we all thought might have been uh the, uh the kickoff main event but instead they did the whole Facebook thing Elias climbed the ladder he got knocked uh and Leo Rush was knocked down he was involved and then Elias is there alone, he grabs the guitar, and the match ends. They explained on TV that the guitar would be hung above the ring, and the person who grabs it can use it as a weapon. It wouldn't signal the end of the match. But then when we got it, they just did a traditional ladder match where Elias wins by grabbing the guitar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was confused. I mean, I, I missed that part of the, the TV, but um, to me it was never that clear. In the end, whatever. Six minutes and 15 seconds, exactly as long as it should have been. And then Lashley and Rush attack Elias. Rush hits a frog splash. Lashley smashes him with the guitar. And so this just, the finish was negated instantly by Lashley and Rush beating this guy up. Um, 
So there you go. Yeah. I guess they figured, well, if we're going to do the guitar smash for Lashley, we can let Elias get the la- the guitar and he quote unquote wins the match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems to be that. I idea. had no time for this match. This was the, well, I won't say the, the worst thing on the show. Close to it. So then we begin the actual show. And what's going to kick things off way? R-Truth and Carmella against Jinder Mahal and Alicia Fox. Ways WrestleMania, the finals of the Mixed Match Challenge. Three months sure. coming down to this. Yeah, my WrestleMania. That's right. Did you have all the scenarios plotted out in your mind of all the different ways they could go? Yes. Truth and Carmella have updated their entrance. Carmella raps as well. And oh, we've yeah. been doing that this whole time. On Mixed Match Challenge? Because I only see them on SmackDown. I've never seen Carmella do this before. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I learned something. Michael Cole was calling this with Renee Young and Vic Joseph, the Mixed Match Challenge crew. Truth and Carmella hit them with hip tosses. They did a dance break. The Sings came in to dance. They got tossed out by R-Truth. Carmella's got a new move called the Mella Go Round that Vic Joseph informed all of us. And then Truth took Alicia Fox's captain's hat, put it on. This upset Alicia Fox. And Carmella super kicked Fox, and Mahal broke the cover up. Fox wasn't able to roll up Carmella, and then she applied the coat of silence, and Alicia tapped instantly at 5 minutes and 40 seconds. Surprisingly, the crowd was also hard for this one. I, again, I feel like all these matches early on benefited from being on so early in the card in front of a hot crowd in San Jose. Um, you know, considering my expectations for these four, I... I think, you know, you were risking a very negative reaction for this audience. And the fact that they didn't give them a negative reaction, um, I thought it was a positive overall. In the end, this was kind of like your dance break match. And for whatever reason you want to believe, R-Truth and Carmella are an act that connect with this audience. So I thought it was fun. And I thought it was totally fine. In the end, like, it ended up being, like, whatever money they made from Facebook, I assume... You know, I don't know if they would have been happy overall because of the the really shitty ratings, especially in the in the in the later weeks of this tournament. But I can see why they would put this on the main show so that they could promote "quote unquote" the main show being on Facebook, right? And this was part of the deal with Facebook that the finals would be part of a pay per view event, so mm-hmm. rather than just being on Facebook Watch, for instance, so. Yeah, they won. Uh, I thought it it got a little clunky at the end with Carmella and Alicia Fox. It was very brief that they had them involved. And then afterwards, they're interviewed by Kayla Braxton, and Carmella is informed that they had to submit the destination they're going to travel to earlier in the day. So R-Truth had submitted their location, and Carmella's guessing all the places they might go together. And R-Truth informs her, we're going on vacation to WWE headquarters in Stamford. Hilarious. Three Hilarious. months. This is the punchline. Yeah, I guess so. I wonder when they came up with this one. Um, but, you know. Probably it, when they got the, the third quarter earnings results and realized we're not sending anyone anywhere. Yeah, if you if you told me that, like, you know, um, you had to pick a location for vignettes for R-Truth and Carmella. I don't know if I would have come up with a better spot than Stanford, Connecticut. I think in the end, that's that's what we're going to see is just them at Titan Towers. Hopefully, they go to Vince's office. Uh, that's that's probably going to be the peak vignette is Vince or one of the executives dancing with them. And I could see Vince doing it. Sure. Why not? 
But there you go. That's that's your three month payoff. The, they're going to WWE headquarters. I can't wait. Sheamus and Cesaro versus the Usos against Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods for the SmackDown tag titles. Uh, Byron Saxton, he too is sick. And they stated he will be back this week. So David Otunga was part of the SmackDown team. Uh, in comparison to the Raw team tonight, I thought Tom Phillips, uh, Corey Graves, and David Otunga were phenomenal. Well, it helps that like none of them were married to any of the wrestlers and had oh. to explain their heel uh there needs spouse. to be a rule against that. No spouses can either turn heel or be on commentary. You can't do both. That it should made, be banned after tonight. Yeah, it was very awkward with Renee tonight. Oh, I'll, I have lots saved for that presentation. Jay Uso went for a tope early, got cut off by a Cesaro uppercut. Bar got the advantage on Xavier Woods for a while until he tagged in Kofi. And then, you know, a, a lot of good tag team spots throughout this. We had Cesaro lifting up Kingston for a vertical, but got hit by a cross body in midair from Jimmy Uso. And then the Usos delivered their own super kick party that the audience got into. Cesaro applied the sharpshooter after a giant swing to Kofi Woods, then broke the submission with a DDT off the rope. And it ended with Kingston going to the floor with a trust fall and Woods stepped off the rope and got caught with a brogue kick and Seamus pinned him 12 minutes, 21 seconds. And, I thought it was fine. I I kind of had higher expectations for this match given who was involved, but there's nothing bad about it. I thought it was excellent. You know, I I think it was the type of match that I think you would have exactly expected from these two. I mean, I would say the 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 problem perhaps is that they haven't really been featured as like a focal point of the show. They've been a nice undercard act, but like the 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 amount of talent involved. I mean, like I said in our previous show, I think if given the right treatment, you could be looking at like a renaissance of the SmackDown 6. These are six, seven people involved in this tag team mix that could main event these shows, could main event SmackDowns. And, you know, I like Bully Ray said, you know, a TLC stipulation or even like the latter stipulation. Take that off of Elias and Lashley and give it to this. I think you would turn this into like a far more interesting memorable match than perhaps what we got but technically what we had here was fantastic though it was wonderful it's just maybe nothing that new that we haven't seen from these guys yeah i i guess i'm comparing it to some of the big new day usos matches that i never thought it got to that level or anything but you know it was a fine 12 minute match involving these six and it's it's just the plight of the smackdown tag division that they're focused upon one pay-per-view cycle and not the other and you have teams that just disappear into the ether like sanity that you just never hear from again. And then I'm certain one of these teams are going to be odd team out over the next month or so. Braun Strowman, Baron Corbin. Uh, this was much more of an angle than a match. They explained that if Strowman wins, he receives the universal title match against Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble and Corbin will be removed from power on Raw. Whereas if Corbin wins, he becomes the permanent general manager and Corbin comes out and he got a ton of heat. The audience just hates this guy. He gloated about becoming the permanent general manager and he had referee Heath Slater ring the bell to start counting Strowman out and then declare himself the winner by forfeit. And they get to the count of eight and Strowman walks out. And I always hate this spot because they walk out. Why does the count freeze? Like if he's out of the ring, is, yeah. is it just you have to be visible in the 
arena? Or is this count? Is this not an ongoing count? No, I agree with you. I had the same question. But then you had Braun come out and say that in a TLC match, there technically is no count out, right? He said there was no disqualification. Is there a count out, though? I guess not, as we we saw tonight in our, our TLC match. But then what was the whole point of the forfeit? If you can't... Nothing. I guess. I guess at some point if you don't make it or if you like leave to the back for like six hours, the match must end at that point. There's a time limit, I guess. His right arm is in a sling and he got a big response coming out and Strowman said, there are no disqualifications. So if anyone wants to help me, they're allowed to. And then we get Apollo Crews, Bobby Roode, Chad Gable, and Finn Balor showing up with chairs and Slater takes off his referee shirt and strikes down Corbin. They all take turns attacking Corbin with the chair. Corbin is trying to leave. He goes up the ramp, and Kurt Angle's music plays, and he comes out. He attacks Corbin with a chair. Rude and Gable then attack him in the ring with their neckbreaker splash combination. Cruz hit a frog splash. Angle slam, coup de gras, and Braun just stands on top of him. Braun did nothing physical in this match, and he pins him. At 7 minutes, 27 seconds. Uh, if you were expecting a match, I guess you were let down. But I thought, given the cards they were dealt, I thought they handled this pretty well. It was all the babyfaces getting their revenge, which is few and far between this ever happens in the WWE. And it was the outcome everyone wanted to see. Yeah. Except on this show. Like, this show, it seems like... It was mostly baby faces, I feel. Uh, I guess oh, not. This not was a old. very different WWE show because it was yeah. a very baby face heavy show tonight. Yeah. So again, maybe it's just that they are listening to some of that criticism that that's kind of been dealt their way over the past several months. Um, you know, I'm I'm with you. I, I, I would say, you know, seeing how Strowman, we could presume, is still injured and unable to work. I felt like they were able to work their way around it and deliver a satisfying, you know, conclusion to the storyline. Crowd ate this up, you know. It was an audience that really hated Baron Corbin, and uh, it really felt like it was a payoff to us, the audience, suffering from seeing so many months of him on TV. So, you know, as a prelude to hitting them, to them hitting that reset button, I thought it was a totally fine segment. Yeah, and with Vince McMahon on tomorrow's TV, I'm certain that this is probably the big segment they're going to build up to, is Baron uh, begging for his job, trying to convince Vince McMahon to keep him, and then gets fired. Jojo announces that Corbin is no longer the acting general manager. Everyone cheers. And I thought the only absence, I thought maybe we'd get Rhino here. He seemed to be the one that was uh, slighted the most by Baron Corbin. Yeah, I did too. I mean, maybe that's something we'll get tomorrow on Raw. Could be. Uh, Rhino did like film a little thing, like a selfie video for .com last Monday, clarifying clarifying that, that he has not retired. For whatever, I mean, I don't know even, I don't even know how that would play into a storyline. Like, who was really, you know, like, wouldn't you want to tell people that you're, you're forced to retire if you're planning to come back anyway as a way to get back at Corbin? I'm not exactly sure. It, maybe, part- maybe they thought by stating that he's not retired. People would think it's more realistic that this guy's going to go out onto the independence. Well, I think what's more surprising is the fact that they would devote any time to Rhino and, and a storyline to Rhino at all. So I'm well, not. He even didn't tonight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not even so certain he'll be he'll be on Raw tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I guess in the story, I I don't know. 
Because like, like he can say he can come back, but to do what? The man hasn't been on TV. Tonight was either. the night to do it. I mean, Rhino coming back. It's uh, unless it's you know Rhino just shows up and he and Corbin's last thing is he gets gored or something, and that's mm. the and he's dragged out something like that. They could do that spot and save it for Monday. Natalia versus Ruby Riot in a tables match. The Riot Squad brought out their custom Jim Neidhart table. And the match begins, and Natalia did the Kurt Angle spot, teasing the German off of the apron uh, to the table on the floor, but Ruby Riot avoided it. And then Natalia started going through the Riot Squad members, beginning with Liv Morgan, who ended up uh, with Ruby Riot getting out of the way, and Liv Morgan took the bullet way worse than Christopher Daniels did for the kendo stick shot on that was delivered for Kerry Sulkin on Friday. Liv Morgan flies off the apron and goes through this table. Oh it my looks, God. Yeah, it looked spectacular. You know, I mean, it looked I'm, crazy. I was very concerned for this woman after she took this. Me as well, you know, especially considering um, concussions and whatnot. So, and she's just coming off of, you know, yeah. that injury recently. Yeah. So I'm hoping she's okay. But like, if she is, then bravo. Like, it looked quite great. Yeah, this was a spectacular table bump. Natalia is beating down Ruby. She yells, you want to mess with my family, bitch? And then Natalia takes out Sarah Logan and puts her through a table on the floor. So it's down to just Ruby. She doesn't have any of her teammates left because once you go through a table, you just disintegrate. And <laughs> you, yeah, they disappeared. We didn't even see them. It was just they were the, these lethal tables. And Riot then gets the heat and is telling Natalia her father's ashamed of her. And Riot sets up the Jim Neidhart table inside the ring. Natalia applies a sharpshooter, but Ruby crawls to the corner and takes this table that is upright in the corner and tips it over and it lands on Natalia. And that would be frustrating if a wooden table fell like that on top of you, but I don't think it would knock you out cold as it did Natalia. I mean, in wrestling logic, uh, I I could buy being touched by by like a random object object to knock somebody out, you know it's heavy. Then Natalia Natalia does come back to to consciousness. She hits Ruby with an electric chair, and then she goes underneath, and she has her own table with Ruby's image plastered on it. It This is new level. Yeah, it hurts more to have a photo on a table. Listen, man, like, listen, this is a wrestling fan's level of, like, uh, I guess, metaphors, you know? So they really have to spell it out visually for people. She also had her father's ring jacket underneath, but no sunglasses. She put on the ring jacket, pointed up, and then Ruby gets knocked off the top. She's placed onto the table, but then again she stops Natalia, fought on the turnbuckle. Natalia blocks a Hurricane Rana and finally puts Ruby through the table, with a power bomb, twelve minutes forty three seconds. Mm-hmm. I thought this angle really has been pretty tacky and tasteless, but I thought by match time the angle did seem to resonate with this crowd. You know, I thought I thought the ending was satisfying. I liked uh, Natty going through all the all the Riot Squad members one by one, and when Natty finally hit that power bomb, it to me did feel like there was like a real emotional release attached to it all so while i hated the angle and i felt like there were other ways you could have built up to this jim neidhart uh tribute match i did feel like the match 
helped uh it worked to help elevate the emotion attached to this otherwise pretty much throwaway tables match i actually really like this match i thought that they laid it out very well they built to the table spots very effectively i thought Nat- natalia was great in this match i think ruby is incredibly underrated when it comes to the the females on the main roster um yeah i echo your sentiments about the angle i didn't enjoy it at all I didn't like the tackiness of it all, but I will say for the, the payoff at the end, and again, a babyface win, which I think gets you a lot of currency with the, the audience at the moment because there's so few of them that you just got the the right finish, and I thought it was laid out very well. So I thought that this was kind of a match you probably weren't uh, isolating as one of the standouts, but I think this one actually over-delivered. Drew McIntyre and Finn Balor followed, followed that, and... There were multiple times on this show that Balor was referred to as the Rebel on Raw. The Rebel on Raw. What does that mean? What's he a rebel of? Bad wrestling. Uh, is he rebelling against bad wrestling? He's he's doing his best. Okay. Uh, this was this crowd. They were all into Finn Balor. You know, despite this guy's uh, lack of a push, uh, I've got to say that. You know, they were, they seemed really into Finn here. McIntyre then launched Balor with a belly to belly suplex and he's favoring his knee after this and uh, seemed to be okay afterwards, but was favoring it a bit. Uh, McIntyre did the two sweet sign at one point, mocking Balor. And then with the referee's back turned, Dolph Ziggler appeared super kicking Drew, uh, grabbed the chair and then Drew kicked the chair into him, recovered in record time from the super kick. And then Balor hit a running drop kick to the chair into McIntyre for the coup de grace for the win. I thought, you know, it, it was a pretty surprising finish. And again, you know, continued the trend of, of baby faces seemingly getting a lot of victories on this show. Um, I thought it was a good technical match, but to me, it felt like it lacked heat and interest. To me, I sense that the crowd likes Finn, but I sense no real personal connection to this particular match or this rivalry. So to me, it felt like the outcome of the match didn't really all matter all that much. And uh, yeah, Ziggler looks like he's still involved in this whole thing. Wait, I really hate to do this. Uh, I have to step out for like five minutes. I'll be in. It's nothing urgent, but I have to just step out for five okay. minutes. Okay. All sorry. right. Okay. Sorry. All right. No worries. So it's just me and the chat room, everybody. Hey, Google. Google Hangouts. What's up? Uh, you know what? This might be a great time to throw the video chat link out there in case any of you guys want to join in with this live broadcast and give us your thoughts i've just uploaded the uh, link in the chat room right now and uh if you want to come on basically you just have to have a webcam and uh microphone attached to the webcam and a pair of headphones attached to it so don't be shy and jump on board let us know what you thought of tlc i don't really want to get into some of these other matches yet um because i don't want to do it without John Pollock, who knows what he's up to because uh, he never takes breaks like this from broadcasts. So we'll see what's up. Uh, Maybe now is a good time to actually jump into a bit of feedback from the Post Wrestling Cafe. We got Alex who says, this was a decent pay-per-view overall, better in some parts than expected. The Ronda match was much better than I thought. Ronda looked very athletic. Brian versus AJ was good, but the ending was very weak. 
Rollins versus Ambrose was just way too long. I swear, I thought the audience was chanting boring at one point. I don't think you are the only one who heard that. Finally, the TLC match, while good, was way too predictable. I figured once they added Asuka that Ronda would screw both Charlotte and Becky to set up matches with both. Also, the ending with the latter, Becky and Charlotte were climbing, wasn't even under the title. Overall, decent thumbs in the middle. We go to Tyler, who says, Tyler from Orlando, who thought it was a decent pay-per-view. There was more good than bad on this show, which is good, right? Liv Morgan's bump was insane. Ray and Randy kind of disappointed me, to be honest. Kurt Angle and others beating the shit out of Corbin was much better than what a corbin Braun match would have been. Ronda continues to get better and impress me. I thought Dean would win tonight, but not clean as a whistle. Lastly, the main event impressed me impressed me so much. Those three women killed each other and proved they are the best of the best. I didn't see the Ronda ladder spot coming. I don't think that was a heel turn, just a badass moment from her. I gave the show a 12 out of 10. I guess I would like to hear from the chat room. What was your favorite match of the evening? Um, I'm guessing the consensus for a lot of people will be the women's TLC match. Um... I think I would have to agree simply because of, of the level of, I think, emotion involved. I could um, I could see people, you know, picking the, the, the tag team match, which I thought was also excellent. Brian versus AJ was very good, but um, I'm kind of curious to hear what John and what everybody, all of you guys felt about that match. To me, like, like a lot of Brian's matches lately, they're always great, but not necessarily show-stealing, if you know what I mean. John! I am back. I'm so sorry, Way. No, it's all right. Everything okay? Everything's fine. We're just, uh, it, it is a madhouse here, and I'm the only one that is not sick, so I'm trying to uh, help out where possible. So I apologize to everybody. This is uh, not ideal circumstances on my part, so I, I greatly apologize. Well, not a problem. Uh, thank you for, uh, I'm sure it's, it, it's, it's crazy for you to, to kind of leave the show. So we'll try to wrap this up uh, so that you can get back to that. And uh, in the meantime, Brandon from uh, Texas actually joined us. So thank you, Brandon. Oh, fantastic. Thank you, Brandon. All right, let's pick up, man. All right. Uh, where, did, where did you uh, leave off? Uh, looks like uh, at the end of uh, uh, Balor McIntyre. So Orton versus Ray is up next. Yes. Um, yeah, in terms of just this match, I really liked seeing Finn Balor going over. I think that he is someone that very much, I think, could be a big component if they are truly going to make a lot of wholesale changes to Raw. I think that he is a babyface you can get behind in a major way uh, that is not stigmatized by being in a mid-card role for that long. So he's someone that I, I really hope gets built up as like a contender in the Rumble and has something sustainable going into Mania because... It's really hit me over the last few weeks that this guy has a a big following, and I, I think a lot more can be done with him. Certainly, yeah. I mean, I, it's hard for me to see him. I'm sure he'll have a good spot in the Rumble. To me, he seems like next in line to get that type of, you know, Becky Lynch, Asuka push of somebody who's just been not focused on for a long time and feels neglected to the audience. I don't think he'll win the Rumble, but um, I don't know. Maybe in 2018, he'll actually become a top-tier main eventer. Or sorry, 2019. 2019, yes. 2018 is kind of a, a lost cause. Then we had a heart, really heartwarming spot. Uh, K Jewelers way. We had a couple that got engaged three years ago at a WWE event. And we're catching up with the husband and wife. They now have a child. They're meeting up with uh, Jimmy Uso and Naomi and just reminiscing about that wonderful night. 
And the husband's bought her a new ring. It's a best friend ring. Okay. All of this can be purchased at K Jewelers. Never heard of a best friend ring, but, um, sure. Yeah, it could be like, you know, you do have the wedding ring. I, I would figure that that is kind of a signal of your, your affections of multiple relationships that you can have with a person. Anyway, Rey Mysterio, Randy Orton, chairs match. I don't know how many chairs matches uh, come to mind, but I thought this one was, was pretty well done uh, overall. They just start trading chair shots. Mysterio did this spot where he used the chair like as a surfboard and slid off the apron to the floor, landing with the chair on top of Randy Orton. This looked very cool. And Rey Mysterio is among the only people that could pull this off and not look silly. It was his usual kind of like uh, sur- like body splash that he's been doing off the apron lately, except now he's he was riding a chair, which almost feels like that's what that spot sh- like was missing, you know? That spot originally was already kind of cool, but you put a chair underneath it, like it made it perfect. I thought it was incredibly creative and really cool. So uh, they continue. Uh, Orton comes back. There was a... A chair set up. Orton seated in the chair, and Mysterio comes off the apron to the floor with a seated senton and misses, and he just crashes onto this chair. Oh, my God. I was in pain watching this. Orton then clears the announcer's desk and uh, placed a chair on top of it, drops Mysterio face first. They go into the ring, and Mysterio catches Orton with a tilt-a-whirl head scissors, sending Orton into a chair that's set up in the corner. It took Mysterio two tries to hit the 619, and then... Uh, Orton comes back, knocks Mysterio into the chair that's set up in the corner, and Orton lines up five chairs together. I thought we were going to get an impromptu musical chairs, and that's how this match can be won. But it was uh, an RKO attempt that was blocked by Orton, and then Orton was seated on one of the chairs, and Mysterio comes and does this tilt-a-whirl into a victory roll off the chair to pin Randy Orton at 11 minutes and 41 seconds. I was impressed by this match. I thought that they worked the chairs into everything. I thought the finish was really clever. I liked this match. I did too. I thought from a technical standpoint, from a creativity standpoint, it was hard to pick out any flaws from here. I thought Ray continued to look incredible in this current run of his. He took some very hard shots from that chair. And I think what I love most about it is that he continues to be creative, designing spots like that surfboard spot. Um, But however, to me, I could sense the crowd's fatigue by this point. And I would say the the fact that this was hardly a hot feud going into it affected the, the reaction to this match. I think these two going back as long as they have, they have a very good chemistry together and thinking about the matches today, I was curious. I sensed Ray winning this match because Daniel Bryan needs an opponent, <clears throat> an opponent. And you want to have baby faces that the crowd is going to, <clears throat> I'm sorry. <clears throat> Baby faces that the crowd are going to cheer above Daniel Bryan. And exactly. more so than that, like opponents that are smaller than Daniel Bryan, you know? So, yeah, that makes total sense. I could see him being the Rumble opponent. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, though, like, because Randy was, like, such a hot heel, I would say, you know, coming off of the Hardy feud. Um, and now, where does he go? I would imagine that had AJ held on to the title, that's where Randy was going to be positioned. But now that you have a heel champion... Randy's kind of in in a weird mix, kind of like a Samoa Joe. 
where hmm. you got these great heels, but when you have a heel champion, it kind of relegates them to other programs. So I don't know where Randy goes after this. Yeah, Randy AJ would be nice. Yeah, I'd, I'd love that. Um, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Finn Balor was interviewed backstage by Charlie, and he said he was happy with the win, but upset that Dolph Ziggler got involved. And of course, Ziggler isn't a good guy or a bad guy, as he has stated. Ziggler walks in, and it led to Ziggler attacking Balor because he didn't appreciate the run-in. And Balor got thrown into a bunch of equipment boxes. So it looks like Ziggler's, he's a heel this week. He turned a heel again. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, so it looks like Ziggler versus Balor. Um, and I'm trying to figure out how Drew McIntyre fits into it. Because surely McIntyre still has to get his revenge on both of these men. So I could I, see these combinations having a bunch of matches over the next while because uh, I see all of them in the rumble. Ultimately, like that's where I mean, Drew's net. You don't really need a a big program for Drew coming out of this because it's the rumble. We'll see what this reset means, you know, because um, I, I think people are putting way too much stock in this reset. I mean, it's to me, it's it's a reaction to a terrible number. Throw Vince on and. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know how many real changes you're going to be seeing with the program. Like, they're going to snap their fingers, and all of a sudden, this is going to be a different show than the one they've been doing forever. But at the same time, I would say some guys like Drew McIntyre are probably going to be in better positions than ever and kind of seen as, you know, uh, the next people to kind of lead this show. And mm -hmm. therefore, I have to imagine he'll, he'll be – like, he didn't lose this match for nothing. Right. You know? Well – that's what I thought when he lost to Ziggler, and he apparently lost that one for nothing. He might just get his win back tomorrow over Balor. Yeah. Ronda Rousey versus Nia Jax, Raw women's title. Nia catches a kick early on and attempted the punch, and Rousey countered with a flying armbar. And this was the beginning of all of Rousey's submission counters and grappling that she demonstrated. I think the most she ever has. It's usually been just... One or two key spots, but this was it was a very submission oriented game plan. It makes they sense. It makes sense because she's fighting a bigger opponent. You know, you're mm -hmm. not going to judo throw Naya all over the place like you would Alexa Bliss. Naya uh, ends up crushing Rousey's shoulder into the post, and the only thing I didn't like about this match was doing that shoulder spot, and then not one minute later. Rousey is using the same left arm for her guillotine and then transitioning to a rear naked choke. And it was like she Naya like avalanches this shoulder into the post and it didn't play into any kind of factor in the match. I agree. They seem to put focus on not Ronda's injured shoulder and then didn't really follow up with it at all. Yeah. When you have the monster that's delivering that to you, that better be the story of the match. And it didn't. It wasn't a factor at all. Like, we've learned Ronda's recuperative powers are tremendous. From kendo stick shots to shoulder dislocations. So, match continues. Uh, Jax then runs her own shoulder into the post. And Rousey climbs to the top and she hits a high cross to the floor. Rousey continues with her strikes in the ring with a step-up knee and a forearm. And then runs in and she gets caught with a Samoan drop after trying another high cross where she's caught... And then Jax is going for the Samoan drop again off the turnbuckle. Rousey turns that into a sunset flip powerbomb. And Tamina gets involved. This allows Nia to hit her from behind. Nia calls for the punch, which Michael Cole has named hashtag facebreaker. Rousey yeah, blocks. 
Yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's what Rousey she's blocks the punch, uses a head scissors to take Jax down, fights for the position. She eyes Tamina on the floor and then applies the arm breaker, and Nia taps out. 10 minutes, 49 seconds. I thought this match was excellent. It Ronda, was really well done. Yeah, Ronda, I'm, I'm always really impressed by in these like big match situations because she really continues to show evolution in her style. She was a lot more ambitious in this match with her high flying and took advantage of having a big base in Nia to attempt a number of really cool submission transitions that we haven't seen her do before. So... I especially loved like the sequence they did with the the vertical suplex transitioning into the rear naked choke into the armbar attempt. Nia crawls out of the ring with Ronda still attached to her, so that she throws it, her into the barricade. I thought that was awesome, and that was just amongst a, a, a number of things. The sh- the standing shining wizard I thought looked a lot better this week, along with that run up forearm that also seemed to get a great reaction. I think what makes Ronda so interesting is that she isn't just a novice, and she isn't just a celebrity novice attempting to learn the basics of wrestling. She's creating her own style of professional wrestling that is incredibly unique to her, to her background, and is incredibly exciting to watch. So I thought she did great here. I thought Nia did great too. She played, again, an excellent base for Ronda. And uh, overall, like this was, to me, a really good match. It might have been my favorite Nia Jax match. And I don't know if that list is all that long, but I really like the match. I like this better than their first match at Money in the Bank. I, and I thought Rousey was the star of this match. She she looked really good. Mm-hmm. Completely. So, yeah, this was, a, this was a positive on the show for sure. Uh, Nia walks backstage. She just walks past Charlie, doesn't want to talk, and runs into Becky Lynch, who says, remember when you broke my face? And she decks Nia and tells Nia to keep my name out of your mouth. And that almost felt like Becky's revenge. I don't even know if you have to do any more than this. This was a real um, downgrade of Nia Jax, I thought, after all that heat she had from the punch. Like, it just seemed like this was uh, this was kind of it. That would be my only concern coming out of this. I mean, I thought the segment itself was really cool. Like, something that you really gather from watching this show, and, and I think all their programming over the past month, is that Becky Lynch is, a, is the main character now. She did the main VO in the opening package on this show. She uh, got, um, she was the one who got the interview in the kickoff. Like she, they fully recognize and they're running with her as the lead character. So that's cool. But I, I was kind of looking forward to that Nia Becky match. And I'm with you. This almost felt like it was, uh, you know, her getting that revenge and this was done. And I hope not because I feel like Nia versus Becky is a match that you can, you know, use the February pay-per-view to to really kind of uh, emphasize um, Becky's run to the, towards the championship with. So I hope this wasn't it. Maybe this was just them reheating it up. But, you know, we'll see. Kayla interviewed AJ, and that set up Daniel Bryan, AJ, for the WWE uh, title. And this one went 23 minutes, 55 seconds. A lot of it was built around AJ's ribs versus Daniel Bryan's knee. And I I thought they told a great, great story. Um, You know, they worked in many, many different submissions. And Before you go on, John, can we talk about this WWE Now segment with Daniel Bryan earlier on in the show? So I don't I don't even know exactly what WWE now is, but apparently it's like a kickoff to the kickoff or something like that. It's hosted by um um uh what's what's her name? Uh Kathy, Kelly, and and Mike, Mike Rome. And uh I didn't watch the whole thing. I only watched this one segment involving Daniel Bryan that everybody online kept talking about. Um so 
Yeah, so, uh, um, anyway, John, would you like to continue recording this at, at another time? Does that work out for you? I, I think I'm going to have to. I, I really yeah. apologize to everyone for this. I'm just, uh, I, I just am dealing with, uh... Yeah, not a problem. Totally understandable. Um, there's, there's others in my house that just uh, would really you, need me right now. Do you want me to just, like, finish the show, or do you yes. want to jump on later on? Uh, okay. I, I think you should finish it, Way. Okay, no problem. No problem. I'll okay. take everybody through it. All right. Th- thanks a lot, Way. Not a problem. It. Not a problem. Not a problem. Okay. Talk to you later. All right, everybody. Just you and me. I'm so sorry. But uh, again, if any of you guys want to jump in, I'm going to paste the link into the uh, uh, chat room right now. I will continue to take you all through um, the, the, the rest of the show, uh, seeing as John Pollock seems to be dealing with some family issues. So uh, I have to imagine it's, it's pretty stressful and serious for John if he has to take this off, which he almost never does. So let's, uh, let's continue here. Unfortunately, my notes aren't really as detailed as far as a play-by-play goes. I'm just going to talk about my thoughts on the final, like, or on the overall matches. Um, so, yeah, this Daniel Bryan uh, promo from WWE Now, uh, he comes out there. It's Kathy Kelly and it's Mike Rome in these, like, WWE ugly Christmas sweaters. And he cuts a promo on him that was just like, to me, it felt like his version of the Miz talking smack moment, except with him in the heel role. He talks about how, like, these shirts you're wearing, they must be made of inorganic cotton. And he talks about how he has new merch made, but he never wears it. He only wears thrift because his, his main motive right now is to show the world that consumerism needs to die. The best part of this promo is when he talks about this WWE championship and how it consists of a leather belt, and he's going to replace the leather of this leather belt with something sustainable because he doesn't want all the cows named Daisy to, you know, suffer anymore. I Listen, it, like with a lot of Daniel Bryan, uh, Daniel Bryan stuff in this current incarnation, some of it veers off into, like, too much comedy, but... I really like it was more entertaining than anything. And I think anybody watching this could really appreciate like his delivery. It was very much to me like a Mick Foley-esque type of, you know, deranged delivery with hints of comedy in there. But overall, just very entertaining. It was wonderful. I encourage everybody to go check this out. So we get to the match. Daniel Bryan versus AJ Styles for the WWE title. Um... Notable points from the from the match. Again, I'm not going to give play-by-play because that's not what I took notes for, unfortunately. But uh, the LaBelle lock now is changed uh, from the Yes lock. No more is the Yes lock. The LaBelle lock is back. Um, I thought this was a good match, man. You know, compared to some of the other matches on this card, I would say it probably had a relatively slower pace, relied a lot on, on striking, good psychology, again, focusing on, you know, uh, the, the knee and the ribs. Very good selling from both men. I found it to be a much more subtle match than some of the others on this show, especially on a match, you know, concern, con- like containing weapons and TLC T- C matches. So for me, it was kind of tough for this match to compete with some of the peaks that the other matches with their spectacular high spots would have. And I wouldn't call it my favorite match of the night from what I'm seeing in the chat room here. It's a lot of people also feel the same way, but I think for what they were looking to accomplish, it was well executed. Charlie is in the back with Natalia and Ronda. And uh, Ronda is just celebrating with Natalia, both of them having won their matches. 
Rhonda's saying, you know, like, wow, it was so cool when you put the jacket on, yada, yada, yada. And Charlie just basically, like, you know, has a ask Rhonda a question. And Rhonda says something about uh, Charlotte. And she says, payback is a bitch. And I'm the baddest woman on the planet. So teasing uh, something for the finish here. We go to our next match. The IC title, Dean Ambrose versus Seth Rollins. So this match, I would say, took place, I have to think, at about like 10-15. And I would say you could definitely sense the crowd's fatigue here. And them setting out to have like a half-hour match certainly didn't play well to this audience who I think were only there to see one more thing, and that was Becky Lynch. So these two had their very straightforward match for the IC title. No weapons involved. Oh, my God. We're joined by two of you guys at once. Hey, Hanzi. Hey, Lewis. How are you both doing? Oh, great. I'm good. How are you, man? Very well. Very well. Nice to see both of you. So one of you guys, I can hear breathing really hard. I'm guessing that's you, Lewis, because your microphone is right up against the, your, your mouth. So, yes, that's great. Okay, you also you're also muted right now. So yeah, perfect. Wonderful. We're doing this show live. Okay, so um this is great. I got two new co-hosts. So. <laughs> yeah, I always wanted to be a co-host on the show, so I mean I'm living my dream now, I guess, right? Right, yes, absolutely. So uh I'm just gonna go through the rest of this match and you guys kind of chime in if you have any thoughts, okay? That's how we kind of do it. Okay. Uh Dean Ambrose versus Seth Rollins. Again, uh Lewis, I can hear some of that breathing, so if you don't mind just kind of pulling that a little farther away thank you very much all right so you know these two go through their match it's like i said it's a much longer match it's a good match but um they have like you know certain spots that to me just didn't seem to really resonate all that well with this audience that at this point seemed really tired they tried the hockey fight spot didn't really connect um at one point there were this is boring chance which i certainly didn't expect for a a, a seth rollins match on this show um We get a frog splash from Seth Rollins, but Dean has his knees up, and we get a two count. At this point, the crowd starts chanting for Becky. They did not care, care to me to the for these near falls at all, and this late into the show, it just felt like this audience didn't really have that patience for a uh, long storytelling. The um, there's a running power bomb into the barricade. Uh, my notes are terrible. I'm sorry. I was kind of running my job for all this. No what, um, what did you guys think of the finish? Um, Louis, you can go first if you want. Sure. Uh, the story of this match, to me, honestly, was the commentary. Uh, the commentary was so distracting. And I know like the audience in the, uh, in the arena couldn't hear the commentary, but it was something that completely killed any heat that the match could have had. I mean, I think the finish was what should have been. Dean should have won. I mean, if you're going to do anything with this guy, he can't lose in his first feud, especially because Seth doesn't really need the title anyway. Uh, but the commentary was terrible, and I assume they're doing something with Renee based on how much back and forth they had with Corey. But then there were these weird moments where you could see Mike uh, Michael Cole trying to steer them back into the match. And you assume that they're all they all have vents in their ear set and their headset, and so it's all sort of his orchestration there. But it really just felt so disjointed and just completely took away attention from what was a pretty mediocre match to be fair, but it just didn't give it any chance. Yeah, I I, I agree I agree with what Lewis was saying. Um I also thought like do you think m- more like people didn't care about this match because something that started out so hot 
with the actual turn. And then it turned into a bunch of like goofy segments, which I thought yeah. Ambrose would get rid of by the time he became a, a full-fledged heel, right? And I felt like some, even though I thought the Bane stuff was kind of cool, the, the the previous month, the previous weeks of like telling the audience they stink or that he's getting a, a vaccine and all that, I think that played into people not really caring about like this match at all for some reason, unfortunately. Like, and I'm disappointed because these two guys always gel well together more than the other Shield members do. If if I, if that's like makes sense to you guys. It does. Absolutely, it makes sense. Uh, I realized I didn't even get into the finish time. I apologize for that. Again, <laughs> I'm really bad at this job. But um, So basically, uh, Rollins hits the uh, superplex and Falcon Arrow, but he grabs his knee after hitting both moves. Uh, Rollins goes for a super kick, and Ambrose puts out his fist to suddenly stop yeah. Seth Rollins in his tracks, thinking about, huh, the shield. I remember that thing. But instead, Rollins hit a discus forearm and then uh, drove Ambrose into the barricade with a powerbomb. And Rollins goes for the stomp, but he was hit with a kick to the body and then a dirty deeds as Dean Ambrose rolls him up and wins the IC championship. Um, I I echo your thoughts. I certainly feel like the poor build to this match led to this poor reaction this late into the show. The fact that, I mean, they had their style of match probably didn't really help either. You know, again, like you cannot compete with how over a Becky Lynch is and the promise of seeing her in a TLC match this late into the show. So yeah. yeah. Any other thoughts you guys have on this one? Yeah. I, I also thought um, John P Pollock brought it up during like the week on one of the review shows that Ambrose was going to have to like do a different style because his other style is kind of baby faced. So I was also interested in that. Do you think like that played into it as well? Like of them not figuring out what kind of offense Ambrose wants to sell like, because uh, he can't do the same, like, he can't go for the pop of doing the rebound clothesline again, you know what I mean? So, like, I was wondering, like, do you think that played a part into it as well or no? I feel like even if you were to incorporate um, some of those moves, I, I think the fact that, like, this this feud just does, doesn't feel all, all that hot wouldn't, like, a few big moves wouldn't necessarily play, you know, wouldn't really improve it. But I, I mean, certainly if he were, was to do a bunch of dives and whatnot, I think it would help a little bit, but I don't think that's the right way to go. You know, I agree that you should change your style when you're a heel and get rid of a lot of that stuff. Um, I, I, I personally thought that he was gonna, uh, I kept predicting this for every match. So, but I personally thought maybe if, if they're going to make Ambrose a heel, they would throw like Lars Sullivan as his heavy, even though he doesn't really need it. But I think it would give him a more sense of intimidation. But I don't, I, 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 I kept saying that for everyone, every match. I kept saying, oh, maybe Daniel Bryan will get Lars Sullivan as his heavy, right? I, I'm just into that idea of Lars Sullivan becoming somebody's like bodyguard for the time being because he's still kind of green to me. So I, I kept thinking about that during, I kept thinking, when, when is he going to debut? Cause I, I thought it was going to happen during this event uh the whole time let's move on over to the uh, main event here becky versus charlotte versus oscar for the smackdown women's championship in a tlc match the first ever women's tlc match and um i'll go through some of the big spots in this match i would say um first off we had oscar putting charlotte through a table with a power bomb uh there were the Asuka and Becky are down on the floor, and Charlotte hits a moonsault onto both of them. Charlotte then clears the German announcer's table with Asuka and Charlotte placed onto the desk by Pe Becky. And then Becky 
comes off of the ladder with a big leg drop that crushed Charlotte upon landing. This looked insane spot. Crazy. Like absolutely it, insane. There was almost no give to this dive because like she landed splat right onto Charlotte, like chest first, and then the table just suddenly collapsed. Asuka got out of the way and then went into the ring for a you know a near victory by climbing the ladder. Um Charlotte at this point returns to the to the ring with a kendo stick and starts battering both women and Asuka then gets control of the of the kendo stick and does the same attacks everybody in the same fashion very aggressively like you saw them do uh, at the end of Smackdown this week um and then at one point Charlotte attempts to uh, so Asuka celebrating with a kendo stick and then Charlotte does the spear through the barricade spot uh they don't completely go all the way through but I felt it was enough to to get a big reaction from the crowd. Definitely. Um, so Charlotte and Becky start exchanging a lot of chops, and then Charlotte lays Becky out on a table on the floor and delivers a somersault off the turnbuckle through a table onto the floor, putting Becky through a table. Charlotte then climbs the ladder when Asuka returned, and they fought on top of the ladder. <laughs> Becky then sets up a ladder next to them and started fighting Charlotte as Ronda Rousey enters the ring. <laughs> She comes in with her uh, le- uh, uh, mean stare. I forget if she's wearing her leather jacket or not, but she comes oh, she, out. She, she is. is. She was, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she comes in, sees Charlotte, she sees Becky perched atop the ladder and comes in, climbs underneath one ladder and just shoves the both of them off. This allows Asuka to be the only person left standing. So she climbs the ladder, grabs the belt and asuka is your new women's champion what did you guys think of the match hanzi you first oh i thought every i thought everything was so intense like i i was kind of scared for them in a way because like i was like yo what's like did this going so intense whatever and i want to ask you uh lewis or anyway both of you do you think with these moonsaults right and i love the way charlotte does the moonsaults but sometimes it feels like she misses her mark and i worry that something's gonna happen to her because it feels like she doesn't even hit her opponent sometimes and i feel like it looks so close that she's gonna injure herself i thought she really did injure herself on top of getting uh, piled on by Becky, you're you're talking about the moonsault like that she does off like to the floor. Yeah, I mean, I would say those ones like she barely makes contact most of the time. Like yeah. it's it's her landing on her feet and just kind of extending her arms out to touch her opponent so that they fall. So to me, it looks like an incredibly safe moonsault. Oh, I mean, yeah. I think there are some examples in the past where she's worked with like some fairly unsafe workers like Nia Jax, where it's gone really poorly. Yeah, but yeah. I would put that more on the person catching the moonsault and less on Charlotte. Like her athleticism is legitimately some of the best in the company and she does a really great job. I feel pretty comfortable watching her do it, honestly. Oh, but that's cool. What do you what do you think of the match, Lewis? Uh great. It was it was a fantastic match. Uh, I think there were a couple of spots where they was uh, they were trying to sort of set up timing, and they were a bit slow. There were some instances of like either Becky or Charlotte waiting for one another to sort of catch up on some spots. But ultimately, those are small like nitpicks and an overall really really solid match. I think the crowd was electric when Becky came out. The crowd was the hottest it had been all night. Uh, which sort of just reinforced the fact that she is like the main event player of the WWE. Um, Asuka got a really good reaction. I was a little concerned at the end when she did win the title to see how the crowd was going to take it. 
And I think because they did such a great job setting up both the future program for Rhonda and Charlotte, as well as the future program for Rhonda and Becky, it was very clear sort of where this is going, right? You see where Rhonda's going, you see where Charlotte's going, you see where Becky's going, and then you have a champion that is a really good worker, uh, has sort of regained some of the momentum she's lost over the past year, and somebody who probably should have had a run with the belt already in Asuka. Uh, so for the first time in a long time, I would say like a really good job booking a match and a really good job booking future directions for three of the better characters you have on SmackDown. I think that's a great point about, you know, the potential backlash against Asuka for winning this match. I'm sure it's something that they were perhaps concerned about, but like, like you said, when, when she picked, picked that belt up from, uh, from this, from the, the, the hang deal, like this crowd loved it. And we have to kind of remember like, why exactly is it that the crowd likes Becky Lynch? For a long time, they felt she was underappreciated and underpushed, and Asuka is going through the same thing. So how is how is the audience supposed to boo one person, uh, you know, for you know achieving the same thing that they wanted for their other person? So I thought it was actually really smart to put Asuka in this match and to get the belt off of Becky this way. And like you said, I think a lot of people sense that what's coming up for Becky next is to win the World Rumble, and and. And I think we all want to see that chase. We want to yeah. see her go for the belt, whether it be uh, Ronda's. I mean, it has to be Ronda's, doesn't it? What do you think, Kanzi? What's what's this leading up to? Um, in, in my opinion, I I, I feel like like you, you you're on the right like I what you guys are saying on the right track about like putting like the focus on on the three best characters right now. And I feel like with Becky, I feel like there's way more money with because like, she has and I feel like she's. I know people hate the comparisons to Austin and all that, and I'm not comparing their personalities or anything like that. But the 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 organic level of like people like loving them, I feel it's kind of the same. And I feel like someone like Becky, it doesn't matter how long she has a belt for. I think they're always gonna be uh like invested into into her chase for the title because of the attitude she has. Like when Austin lost the belt, you never really felt concerned that Austin wasn't gonna do something about it, right? And I get that same concern about not the same concern, the same feeling about what uh, Becky is gonna do when she loses the title. She's gonna be a badass about it, and she's gonna like cut a hell of a promo and beat somebody up or something like that. Do you see this ending up in a three way at Mania, or uh, would what would you guys no. do? No, I don't. I think that uh, the path forward, it's to me, uh, Rhonda, Charlotte first. Rhonda very clearly has sort of her eyes on Charlotte. They did the backstage interview, sort of setting that up with, hey, you know, payback's a bitch, blah, blah, blah. I'm coming for Charlotte. Uh, and then you have Becky at WrestleMania. I think that all of us at this point kind of have that in the back of our minds as could this be that women's main event that sort of breaks through? and is the first women's main event for WrestleMania. And I think if you're going to do that women's main event for WrestleMania, to me, the best way to do it is you put the hottest character you have on this show, on any show, which is Becky, against who you have, who you want to build as your big main event uh, popular star in Ronda. And that's who you put in your main event, and you market the show around that. Now, what do you see for Charlotte, then, and, and especially on the SmackDown side of things? SmackDown titled I think you have Becky go for the Raw title. You move her over to Raw, and you have a rematch of what was a really good match uh, between Charlotte and Asuka as your sort of second women's program. And now you have that matchup with 
Asuka as the champion, Charlotte as the heel, because they had the babyface, babyface dynamic, which in general is really hard to work last year. And now you have very clear babyface versus heel dynamic with Charlotte versus Asuka. To me, the question is, how do you set up the dynamic between uh, Becky and Ronda going into WrestleMania? Because I think the crowd's going to very clearly view Ronda as the heel in that matchup. And you could see it tonight when she pushed over that ladder where the, the boos were there then, the boos were there during Survivor Series when uh, Charlotte turned or, you know, went, went after with the kendo stick. So the crowd's already kind of ready to turn. Certainly. Yeah. I would say, like, just judging by, like, promo ability alone, I think it's going to be a lot tougher for Ronda Rousey to turn this crowd in her favor when she's stacked up against Becky Lynch, who I think is just a fantastic babyface promo at the moment. Ronda could be good, too, but, like, often she just seems really disingenuous when she's reading kind of her, her script. So I would totally turn her, at least for that match. You can always turn her back afterwards. But for that match to work, it has to be Becky Lynch. To me, closing the show with the belt, having a babyface victory. Absolutely. No, I I, I agree with you. I, I want to ask you guys a question. Do you guys uh people always people have been mentioning this since she's debuted? If she does turn heel, do you think uh, putting Heyman with her would actually help as well, or do you think like she doesn't need that? Like I, I feel like Heyman being up um being part of like you know the the whole act could also add to it as well. Like he could like hype the whole thing up, you know, Becky could even beat the, beat the hell out of Heyman up, uh, beat him up a little bit as well. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's like, there's elements where you can go with this. And uh, I don't know if you guys think Heyman would be a good fit for her. I don't know. Lewis. Uh, I don't, I, I think the idea of a manager having multiple people in his stable is something that died in the eighties. Uh, with like the like the Jimmy Hart's and the uh, the weasels and stuff like that. To me, like Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman is the combination. Uh, when you put Paul and also honestly, I don't think Ronda needs it. I think I already want to boot Ronda Rousey. Uh, she has this thing where she always looks like she's acting, whether she's happy or she's mad or she's sad. It always looks like it's a person putting on. Here's what I'm supposed. Here's my happy face. He, ooh, here's my mad face. He, oh, I'm sad now. And it just looks so disingenuous. So to me, she doesn't need Paul Heyman to make you hate her. You kind of want to hate her already without Paul Heyman. If anything, I would say Paul Heyman's so entertaining and such a good promo that it would kind of take away from Rousey being a heel. I agree with Lewis. I think Ronda doesn't really need it. I think Ronda is capable of cutting a promo that would probably get the crowd to, to boo her without the need to have Paul Heyman attached to it. Uh, you know, like you mentioned how like she just kind of, kind of wears her expressions on her face. And sometimes that could seem a little disingenuous. I mean, kind of seeing her doing MMA interviews. I feel like that's just who she is. She just like mm-hmm. happens to at whatever emotion she happens to feel like she, she kind of spells it out in front of the camera. And, uh, I think either whatever the case it may be, it works, you know, like it works as a baby face when she wants to seem genuine and it works as a heel when she wants to, to, you know, when she's upset, when she's upset, you could certainly tell that she's upset. And we got glimpses of it um, at the end of that, uh, the, the Charlotte Ronda match of her turning on this crowd. And I can't wait to see that in full force if they decide to go that direction. Can I get both of your overall thoughts on the show itself? Uh, let's start with Hanzi. 
Um, I thought the uh, I thought the, I I enjoyed it. Even like the matches that were like not really like you know ones that we we're looking forward to. Um, I I do like because you, you know how uh, you guys always we always as wrestling fans complain they don't give us enough happy moments. I thought for one pay per view, even if you didn't like all the matches, at least they put the baby faces over. At least the baby faces like like even with the Corbin thing, like it doesn't make up for all the bad raws, whatever, right? But at least you felt something when you saw all the baby faces that had horrible booking beating the hell out of Corbin with a chair. Or, or, or finally Natty uh, getting revenge on Ruby Riot, or Finn Balor beating Drew McIntyre, who's been a bully. Even though like it might, it, it's gonna continue. I just felt for a one night you at least got some good babyface reactions for you know babyface feuds, where we always complain that heels get too much heat all the time. Lewis, I would agree. Uh, I think that WWE for a long time has had this obsession with heat. And you just have to, you have to get more heat. You have to get more heat. You have to get heat on your heels. And you just have baby faces that look inept and that don't ever garner any crowd reaction or crowd sympathy because they're just losers, right? And who wants to cheer for a guy that always loses? Uh, so you give Finn Balor a win. Uh, and not only that, you give Finn Balor a win with his finisher because it seems like the majority of matches that Finn Balor wins now are like via surprise either like roll up or some kind of a fluky kind of situation. So he gets one with his finisher over Drew McIntyre. I mean, there's some hope of them maybe doing something with Finn, but there's been so much start stop pushing with him. And now he's probably going to be in a program with Dolph Ziggler, which in general doesn't go too well for most people (laughs) in a program with Dolph Ziggler. Uh, I think the main event was fantastic. I think the AJ, uh, AJ Bryan match was good i think the finish there was flat though um to me the 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 only real big negative on this show to me was the the dean uh set match which when you initially saw that dean turn you had this like this guy's gonna be a monster heel right and you're gonna put him toward the top of the card and now i see dean ambrose with the icy belt again and all i can think back to is his lackluster run that he had last time with the icy belt and I don't see this being pretty much any different. You have this guy who has a very limited character as far as what you've defined about him so far. He doesn't really have any sort of heat, really any crowd reaction garnered. His re- his style as a wrestler isn't particularly interesting. And I don't know where you go with him. But overall, I think the show is pretty good. Um, and I would recommend it if somebody hadn't watched it. I definitely recommend at least the uh, AJ match as well as the main event. I really liked both women's titles matches on this show. The TLC match for sure, I think, uh, lived up to my expectations. I really enjoyed Ronda versus Nia. I think AJ versus Brian also lived up to expectations, but to me, like, was maybe a, a bit more of a slower match on, on the show. Um, worth watching, though, I would say. Uh, I'm with you. I thought Seth versus Dean was a real disappointment. You know, it's it's one of those matches where I wonder if, if the show led off with that match how would would the crowd have reacted differently to it would that match have come across better no i don't think so i think the crowd being tired hurt the match absolutely but i think the match just wasn't good uh i think that if you put a match like that where if you look back on that match like what memorable moments did the match have what moments did it have where it would have engaged a crowd even at the beginning uh even when the crowd wants to be engaged i think there were so few moments where 
the match really went up to another level because you have some matches where it sort of ends before it hits that second gear. This match to me never felt like it got, even got close to a second gear. Mm. All right. Uh, any other thoughts uh, that you guys have the floor? Like, uh, I want to thank you guys so much for bailing the whole show out. Both of you have been excellent. So uh, plugs, like whatever you guys want. The floor is yours. Let's start with you, Hansi. Um, yeah, you, if you want to follow my incoherent babbling, you can follow me on Twitter, Hansi83. Um, I, but I, I do want to, uh, before we like, I, I, I leave and you, 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 you'll finish this up. Uh, when do you, when do you guys predict that, uh, um, Daniel Bryan will unleash this new title? Do you think it'll be like this week or do you think they wait till the new year to do this? I think it'll be this week. I think right. it, I really hope it is. Uh, that was a great promo. I think the tease of his like vegan WWE title is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> What's it going to look like? That's the question. Uh, I have no idea. That's like, I'm legitimately excited to see what they do with it because there's so many directions you can go. You could, I'm thinking, would they change the color possibly and make it green? green. Yeah. You know, like, would they go that far? Um, yeah, I'm not really up on all my, um, in our organic um, fabrics, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't know exactly what the options are. But I feel like green would 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 definitely be a, 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 a unexpected thing. It's definitely going to be a title that you'll see at like indie shows and all that. You know, people are going to be like posing with them. They'll probably be selling these. It, it's going to be it's going to be really good. I, I hope it's like I hope it lives up to expectations because I feel like this could be his version of like. The spinner belt, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't. He refuses to like um, let it go away and, uh, after he loses the title. Also, you know what I mean? Like when like Stone Cold will lose his smoking skull belt, it would go back to like the regular design. I want his belt to be the forever design for like the next five years or so or something like that. It's it, it was one of those things that was mentioned on like WWE now, so it kind of leads me to think that it might have not even been part of the plans. But I have to feel like the fact that it it's caught on seemingly so much on on the internet. Like to me, this this promo was like on top of Reddit, and a lot of people online were sharing it. I ha I feel like it it's something they should probably end up doing. Yeah, for sure, man. How about you, Lewis? Where can people find you? Uh not many places uh i don't have a twitter i have an instagram which is uh that guy lewis all one word uh l-o-u-i-s uh i take photos when i go to uh, local shows so i've been to a couple new japan shows where i did a bit of photography nothing professional level but i'm sort of uh picking up skill as i go along uh what right. i did want to say uh yeah. is a big thank you to you way and john uh, for a year of great content. So I've been uh, a patron this entire year. Um, best $12 I spend a month, absolutely, in comparison to any other subscription that I have. Uh, you guys keep me company on the way to work and walking my dog, dogs, I should say. And uh, I really appreciate it. And you guys are great. That's all I have to say. Thanks. Hey, thank you so much, man. It's a real privilege. And I feel like I should be supporting you guys because you 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 guys are are fantastic on this show so i uh, would love to have both of you on again um thank you guys for joining us and thanks for saving the show uh because john unfortunately like trust me everybody he has a very legitimate excuse so uh everybody kind of you know let's let's uh 
wish him well and everything. And I'll, I'll hopefully talk to him again tomorrow on Rewind Raw. I'm just going to continue here with the feedback, guys. But uh, at this point, I'm just going to uh, bid you guys farewell. Thank you guys again. Yeah, no problem. So Bye, away. Later. Alrighty, we go to Jake from the Windy City, who says, overall, it was a fine show. Some instances were disappointments. Rhonda and I were two women who wouldn't think would have who you wouldn't think would have so much chemistry in the ring, but they definitely delivered better than I expected. Just shows that Ronda can even lead a mediocre wrestler like Nia to a well-executed match. Brian and AJ had a great technical match. It gets me enough. It gets enough time. And it was well-paced, but I was bewildered by the finish. They really need to change Brian's theme song so that, so that you can completely change his character. Way, I feel sorry for you watching all those mixed match challenge matches, three long months of the MMC and it culminated in a comedy spot at the end. Don't feel bad for me. The whole thing was a comedy uh, spot, you know? Like, to me, that's what attracted me to the Mixed Match Challenge. The fact that we would be able to see guys like AJ Styles, guys like, you know, uh, Charlotte, you know, flex their comedic muscles, which they don't get to do, which I think is a very underrated aspect of professional wrestling. So I actually enjoyed it for the first few weeks, but then it just seemed to grow quite tired by the end. So I hope that they do it again, that they condense it a little bit more and, you know, if you're going to do the vacation thing, just announce it from the start. Why even throw like the serious rumble stipulation in there? Anyway, he says the main event was dangerous, but spectacular. Nick from Arizona, overall, a very decent pay-per-view. The cruiserweight really, the cruiserweights really should be moved to the main pay-per-view after another very strong showing between Buddy Murphy and Cedric Alexander. I really hope this Bobby versus Elias thing would just end, but appears to be going forward some more. I can't imagine what's next. Jumping around the main pay-per-view, no real complaints with opening matches besides feeling the Usos were severely misused all 2018, and I'm hoping for a reinvigoration in 2019. I totally agree with you nick um for whatever reason like they had an excellent 2017 and i feel like the buzz was already really strongly behind them a lot of people saying that they were the best tag team in wrestling in any part of the world but for whatever reason like in 2018 they definitely felt like background players and it feels like though you know now um they're continuing to be pushed again so Hopefully they have something in store post-mania uh, that, that's really big. He says the TLC match was a waste of a stipulation for the corbin Strowman match, but everyone got what they wanted, so I can't complain. The, the other TLC match was with my was worth my time alone. It was more brutal than I thought it would be. The finish was expected, however. I did not see Ron, Rousey coming out. I'm hoping this leads to a giant pop for Becky winning the Rumble here in AZ and challenging Rousey for the first women's main event at WrestleMania. Let's do a couple more here. We go to oh, one of them. Okay, we go to Joey from Queens who said, while I didn't catch all of this pay-per-view, from what I saw, it was better than it had any right to be, probably because they kept most of the raw nonsense far away from it. I started watching the Orton Mysterio match, which was pretty good, even though it had some slow Randy Orton moments in it. AJ and Brian was great as it should be, considering they're both terrific performers. Rousey and Nia was really good. Of all the people who can get the best out of Nia, it's somehow Ronda, but they make it work really well. My only complaint is the presence of Tamina. I really don't know what she offers in this program. Ambrose and Rollins I didn't like, but then again, the feud leading up to it wasn't exactly Citizen Kane, so I wasn't surprised. Finally, the women's TLC main event was a car crash, but a good car crash. It also pleases me to see they are actually considering some long-term storyline with Ronda's interference. Overall, a tentative 15 out of 20 until the rest of the show, until I see the rest of the show, okay? All right, let's close it off here with Brad from Halifax, who gets the last word. He says, I agree with everybody else in that this was a passable show, 
though there were some really good matches, especially the main event, as the women put on a great TLC match. However, the show gets dragged down by just having too many matches. I would have preferred a three-hour show with the cruiserweights on the main show and a few of the matches cut, such as the mixed match challenge, Drew versus Finn and Randy versus Ray. The shows, the shows feel special. The shows don't feel special because there are just too many of the same combinations over and over again. Thank you, everybody who uh, posted. I'm sorry we couldn't get to all of you, but um, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you all for being a part of the chat room. Again, we do all of our post-pay-per-view shows live on Google Hangouts, uh, and those are available to members of our Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso tier. So for $12 and above, if you are uh, that generous of, of a supporter of our Patreon uh, we want to reward you with some of these live shows. So not only do we do our uh, WWE pay-per-view post shows live for, for those patrons, we also do our weekly cafe hangouts live for those patrons. So people like Hanzi and Lewis, they have uh, jumped on our hangouts before and uh, they get a chance to interact with us live, much like you heard today. Like you never know what will happen. And thank goodness we did the show live because I don't know how we would have done it otherwise. So thank you all for joining us. Uh, thank you all for all just downloading and listening to us. Um, hopefully I'll be back with John tomorrow. I'm not hundred percent sure yet, but, uh, I will, uh, we will all be letting you know. So, um, this is where I say goodbye and talk to you guys later.